1: Welcome to another episode of Equal Play. I am just thrilled. This week's guest had time for me. White Sox Senior Director of Minor League Operations, Grace guerrero Zwitt. Her stories are absolutely incredible and her experience is as well. That conversation is coming up, but first, let's get to this week's hottest headlines. Up first, The NWSL is returning to Kansas City after Angie and Chris Long led a majority female ownership group in securing all players' rights, draft picks, and other assets held by Utah Royals FC. The team, which is still without a name, will begin play in 2021. NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird had this to say about the move. This is a tremendous opportunity for our league, and I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Kansas City back to the NWSL. You can read more about this story, including some news on how this move kind of involved the Chicago Red Stars at thesuntimes.com slash sports. Next up, the PGA Tour announced Friday that the President's Cup is coming to Chicago in 2026 when it will be played at Medina Country Club, which is about 30 minutes west of the city and... Pretty close to where I grew up. The President's Cup is the latest on a list of tournaments hosted at course number three at Medina Country Club, including the 2019 BMW Championship, the 2012 Ryder Cup, two PGA Championships, three U.S. Opens, the 1988 U.S. Senior Open, and three Western Opens. Again, you could read more about that at thechicagosuntimes.com slash sports. Last but certainly not least, the White Sox have been busy this offseason making moves, of course. The team brought back Adam Eaton after dealing him to the Nationals in 2016 and traded for right-hander Lance Lynn. Who had this to say about playing for the White Sox? Quote, I'm looking forward to it. I get reunited with new Sox manager Tony La Russa, whom I had when I was a rookie with the Cardinals in 2011. Ten years ago, we won a World Series, and hopefully, ten years later, we can do the same. You can read more about these moves and others at thesuntimes.com slash White Sox. All right, on that White Sox note, here is my conversation with the team's senior director of minor league operations, Grace Guerrero-Zewitt. Well, Grace, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Equal Play. Obviously, there is just so much in baseball news as of late that women in the game have to be proud of. Kim Ang obviously being hired as the first woman general manager is just so inspiring, but has prompted a lot of reflection on women in the game of baseball. So you are really a great person to talk to. And I want to start from the beginning. You interviewed with the White Sox in 1982. Correct. Before that, we're working with the Chicago Board of Trade as an administrative assistant. So how did the story unfold for you to jump into baseball? Did you have goals or dreams of working in sports?
0: I did. I did not. I think that really, uh, some people are just like, you're kidding, but I did mm-hmm. not. It was, uh, it was a favor to a friend who knew Roland Hemond. He had told them that he would see if, uh, he, you know, had any, they, they were looking for a bilingual assistant to help them because they were getting involved in, um, international mm-hmm. and they didn't really have anyone who spoke Spanish and, you know, It was like, well, sure, I'll go. (laughs) You know, I didn't. It wasn't like you know, and it was probably that's why it was probably not. It was easy because I had no pressure. I have to have this, I have to, you know, when I told my dad I was doing it, my dad was like, oh my God, you know, he couldn't believe it. And I was like, well, I guess that's really, it really is something, you know, I really didn't know anybody who worked in the industry. So it was really new to me. So I just, I went, Roland obviously was just so easygoing, um, you know, explaining the job, and Dave Dombrowski, very young and ambitious at the time. You know, he went on to be a president and CEO with he was with various clubs. Um, I called him boot camp. He was an amazing teacher. He wasn't easy to work for, but I learned a lot from him. Uh-huh. But. Um, I always tell everyone that the big seller on me taking the job was they told me that I'd get to spend six weeks in Sarasota, Florida. I just envisioned, you know, on the beaches, you know, had no idea what it yeah. what entailed in spring training, that it's seven days a week, you're there at the crack of dawn. Right. A a day. I mean, you're lucky you get a dinner in, you know, because you wake up, go to work, come back, eat, and sleep. And that's spring training, you know, for like five to 50 days straight. But that was the cellar. It was Sarasota, Florida, and the beaches. So
1: how much time did you actually get to spend on the
0: beach then? I assume not. I did get there. You know, I did make it a point to go and visit the beaches. I had been there before, so I knew, you know, how beautiful they were in that. And then a couple of the years, I actually stayed on – Turtle Bay was the name of it, right across from Siesta. So I actually was across the street from the beach. So not that I was there every day, but at least when I came home, I could see it every day. Right, (laughs) right, right. That was it. But yeah, and then we moved to Arizona, which was, uh, that was hard because we all loved, we all loved the Sarasota area and the beaches and everything. You know, you say
1: that kind of like the lack of expectations or, you weren't like obsessively trying to get this job and that helped in some kind of way. Do you think once you were in the position, you had to work overtime to get a full grasp of what goes into. You,
0: You work long hours in baseball. It's just the nature of the game, you know, with the games being at night and stuff. Um, from minor leagues up to teams. So it's long hours and it's again, seven days a week. There's no breaks or anything. So um, it was a whole new industry I was learning. I mean, I really didn't know about the six minor league affiliates. It was five at the time, but the six minor league affiliates, the levels Mm -hmm. of each one. I mean, I learned so much you know, moving through, um, it was just a learning experience going to spring training with the whole group together because player development is, and scouting, they're both out of sight, out of mind. They're not in the front office. Mm -hmm. So people do not see any of them. So when you get everybody together, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big group, you know?
1: Yeah. And when you did get everybody together, when you were all together as a collective do you remember how many women were
0: around? There was two of us. It was the team. Um, she was the secretary who worked for Roland Heeman. And then it was myself wow. working on the minor league side. So it was two of us. That was it. That was it for females. I mean, in PR, there were no females. Um, you know, when marketing came down. No, it was, pr- it was predominantly men when I started. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly administrative assistants that were the females. Mm -hmm. And in sales, there were some females. When did you
1: start to notice a shift in terms of more women being hired in roles that went beyond marketing, sales, PR, administrative assistant?
0: Not until the 90s. You know, it was like in the mid-90s. I mean, Kenny Williams is really the one who um, challenged me and gave me my, you know, title and trusted me. And, you know, he was, he backed me up and I learned a lot from him as well. But there weren't, when I'd go to the meetings, the industry meetings, there was a handful. There was a lady named Priscilla Oppenheimer who was probably one of the first females Um, that was a director of minor league administration. But then aside from that, there was maybe three others. And we had just come into it. Uh So not many females at all. But and then as time went on, there started to be more. You know, at that point, Kim came in. Um, But she was, she was one of the first females. I I told this somebody else that actually stayed for every game and was up in the suite with all the guys. I I had, I never, I didn't stay for the games because I was more involved with the player development side. So all the teams I dealt with weren't in Chicago. So they were able to contact me, you know, outside of the office as well. And I also had started a family and I had two little boys. Mm -hmm. So, i would get I would go home and do what I needed to from home, but you know, and nothing like now how we could work remotely now I mean, right come right. such a long way
1: before we get into how Covid has shifted your workflow, you know, you just mentioned you started a family early in your career, and there's this misconception. For women, that at some point in your life, you're either going to have to choose the career or the family life. And that one is going to take a hit if you do try and juggle both. So I hate that. And I want to know how being a mother made you better at your job.
0: The balance, you learn how to balance. Um, you know, I also had to prioritize. I couldn't put work all the time before uh-huh. my family, but there were times that I had to times of the year during the June draft, let's say they really needed me at the office, but you know, I have a husband who's amazing with the kids, you know, he's very hands on. He always has contributed. Um, you know, my parents were amazing. They both had retired, so they were always available. When I first start going to spring training, after I had my first son, initially my mother would come down with me, um, and I had him with me. But then when, when they go into school, that's difficult to do. So they would stay here with my husband. And there were, like, moms that would, like, really come right out and say to me, like, how could you leave your sons? And I'd be like, they're with their father. You know, they're with their dad. They're, they're going to be fine. <laughs> and, you know, we didn't have FaceTime or anything. So it was hard. Yeah. I mean, I am not gonna lie, You miss them. Um, but then they would come down, and my boys didn't know anything else. This is what they knew. They didn't think anything of it that I was like gone. And then as they got older, they looked forward to it. I think they were like packing my bag when they were teenagers because it was just going to be them and dad. And my husband made it a fun month for them where they didn't have to make their beds, um, there was no like putting the toilet seat down because mom's you know, not home. They had sleepovers, So he made it fun for them as well. So, you know, they didn't know any different. Have you seen
1: or have they mentioned to you how watching you be such a boss and such a strong woman in a male dominated field has affected their view of women and whether it's in sports or just in everyday life, like, have they ever brought that up to you?
0: Um, my oldest has just come right out and said that, um, you know, that, and he's, he is, in with a wonderful girl right now who's very career minded and a very bright girl. But he said one time to me, which it just struck me, and I felt proud. He said, I want to be a power couple like you and dad. I want to meet someone who's going to work and not, you know, be, you know, think anything of it. And it, I was like, wow. yeah," but I also thought like, oh my goodness, I hope he doesn't <laughs> like not meet someone that because they don't work, he's going to hold it against them or whatever. Right. But, you know, um, I, I think they, they just know that their mom always works. So right. they not know any different. And I, my, um, my kids were, they've been very proud of the articles that have come up and what can, and they knew Kim. So, um, they were excited when they saw that as well. And, you know, someone said like, did your mom know Kim? And they were both like, yeah, she knew Kim and we knew Kim. And so they were excited about it. You know, I've read multiple stories on
1: your career and one story made reference to the fact that you are bilingual and being bilingual is an asset, but back in grammar school, you had teachers who discouraged you from speaking Spanish. And I wonder if you have any advice for individuals in regards to the power and the strength and the beauty that's held in being bilingual.
0: It was the generation Mm -hmm. um, where most Latinos that immigrated here, They wanted their kids to learn English. In my household, Spanish was my first language. My dad didn't even speak English. But I went to a private school. Mm -hmm. And it was there that the, um, it was the nuns to my mother that I needed to speak English and lose the Spanish because otherwise I was going to struggle. And, you know, and the bottom line was my mother, my mother was bilingual. So my mother just stopped speaking to me in Spanish. And, you know, I picked up English immediately. I mean, I had, I don't even recall struggles because it just, you picked it up. Yeah. In the meantime, um, my father learned English because my mother started speaking to me more in English. I was starting to speak English. So my dad then was kind of forced to pick up English. So it helped him. Uh But in the meantime, I wasn't practicing it. I wasn't speaking it like I had, you know, and it, taking taking the job with the socks kind of forced me into bringing it back and using it because I hadn't done that, you know, it, since school, I really, I hadn't done that.
1: Your official title is Senior Director of Minor League Operations, and you moved into that department in 1997, but you've handled so much from contracts for players to education programs for prospects in the Dominican Republic and so much more. How would you describe your role with the White Sox right now, your day-to-day and how, you know, it has evolved over the years to bring you to this point right now?
0: Um, the, I, I was involved in so much because the whites, I mean, we had scouting that ended up um, in Chicago, you know, depending on the GM that was in. Player development actually moved down to Sarasota for a few years. So I was primarily doing scouting. So I really got involved in that aspect of it. When we moved to the new uh, ballpark, I was then, I was made um, assistant director of scouting administration, very involved with the draft and dealing with the scouts day to day their expenses, their, their contracts and that type of stuff. And then when Kenny came in, he brought player development back to Chicago. So then I was kind of doing both. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a lot, it was a lot, but you know, it was, you get it done. You don't think about it. You just handle it, do it. Um, The job evolved, you know, getting, having immigration because we did start, signing players in Venezuela, in the Dominican. And then we had to get them visas to bring them here. So that was a whole process. Um, but, you know, I, I learned to understand the immigration process. And then um, just assigning the all of international and then starting a Dominican summer league team in the Dominican was another whole operation that started. Um, Making trips down to the Dominican and just seeing that evolved from really dinky little stadiums that clubs had to now the beautiful facilities they have down there where, you know, the players are housed and fed and we have education classes from them. It's, It's huge. And I've actually gotten help on the international side because it was starting to be a lot on my plate. So um, we have someone who now deals with immigration and with international signings. And then um, in player development, which is my primary focus now, I'm the liaison with all the minor league teams um, with the general managers, just making sure everything's going right. And I handle the business side of it, the expense side of it. I'm not involved in the development of the players by any means, it's more the business side of it. And every day brings a new, you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what a player's going to need or a staff member for that matter. It's different every day.
1: Another story I read about your experience in the game of baseball, early on, there were people who tried to maybe go over your head and would go directly to Kenny, for example. And he Again, like like you've mentioned throughout this this conversation, this interview, he always had your back and always was in support of you and your growth in this business. How important was that support and what advice do you have for young individuals who experience that level of disrespect that is essentially someone undermining you or undermining your skill set? Like
0: questioning, if I did, I know what I was talking about. Um, Kenny was excellent with that. You know, he would, even at some of the coaches net, he would just be like, well, what did Grace tell you? And, you know, he, they would, and he'd say, well, then that's what it is. You know, that's, you know, and he knew we, we worked very closely together. So he knew everything. I wasn't going to do something that wasn't, you know, it wasn't on the up and up or whatever, but um, once you talk up to those people or someone like Kenny backed me up, it went away, you know, and then it's time when I, I didn't let them intimidate me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would tell young people is, you know, you, you don't want to be disrespectful by any means in that, but you have to make it clear that you know what you're talking about and don't let them intimidate you. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they have someone that is going to support them. I I was very lucky. Just the White Sox. and I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf is amazing. So I had great support. How would you describe how the White
1: Sox handled the inclusion of women in their front office?
0: Um, We were probably one of the first clubs, you know, doing the most in it, just really diversity and inclusion. Our organization, our owner is very much behind it. So we were always, I think, ahead of the game from other clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we, we do have two um, vice presidents, you know, that are part of our organization and human resources. And then, and Moira Foy, and then Chris O'Reilly with um, White Sox Charities and Community Relations. And, They're through, you know, Sheena and PR and Julie Taylor and Gail Tucker. I mean, we have quite a few females. So I think our organization has done very well with that. The winter
1: meetings in 1990, you shared a story that a man asked if you were Reinsdorf's secretary. (laughs) And you have said in multiple interviews that you've always been very clear about correcting people. And again, like you mentioned, talking up to people, making sure that people respect you and your title. But I wonder if in that moment and in those moments, was that challenging to hear and how did you respond?
0: I laughed. (laughs) was it was funny like oh my gosh (laughs) really and I just said no no I'm not his secretary I'm like I'm here you know to go to the minor league meetings and you know I'm a a director and they were like oh but it it was just that mindset in the 90s there was still some older um, guys from early on that just didn't they didn't understand what females were doing at those meetings it's like why are you here you must be Jerry's secretary it was just his assumption and i kind of just i laughed i really it wasn't it wasn't hurtful or anything it was you know i look at who's saying it it's an older man and that and it's just like that's what he thinks and i just corrected him and said no that's not that's not what i'm doing so did did
1: keeping a Uh, more lighthearted energy about it, help
0: you through those moments. You can't be getting hurt and stuff with things that people say like that. You had to let a lot of that roll off your shoulders early on. It wasn't, I don't think they said it to being mean. It was just, they didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. You know, this was an industry that was male dominated and it was females were coming in and they just were not, they didn't understand, you know, they didn't recognize exactly why are you here and what are you doing? What did you get hired to do? So they were they had to learn uh-huh. that there were gonna be females in the game. I, I never let it, I was never overly sensitive about it. No, I wasn't. I don't think I was.
1: You know, I think I think that's powerful because I think everyone has their own natural way of handling things. And that's the beauty in the fact that we can all learn from each other and how to grow in different areas, whether it's sports or an entirely different business. You know, we can all learn from each other and how to handle some of these situations to progress forward. You know, during Kim's introductory press conference, she gave you quite the shout out. It was, um, it was a
0: surprise. It really
1: was. Yeah, she said, nobody messes with grace or, or
0: don't mess with grace. Don't mess with grace. I, and, and part of it is um, standing up for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, we, her and I were like the only two females at an organizational meeting that year. And that, and it was standing up for yourself and not let these guys, you know, talk down to you. Or, you know, you, you just put them in their place. Yeah. Did you, did
1: you, did either of you ever feel uh, out of place being two of the only women or did you always hype yourself up? Like I deserve to be here. here.
0: There's no reason we shouldn't be here. Right Just how we carried ourselves. And that was it. And I think it intimidated some of the men, but you know, that was their problem. But I, I, that, I think, is what she meant by it. And, you know, it was a, it really was. A, it was a surprise. It was a compliment. Um, I did tell someone at MLB sent me a note. And I said, I was really surprised. And she said, well, I wasn't because she has been working with Kim at MLB. And she just said, Kim has always thought highly of you and that you really helped her early on. And I said, well, I'm glad I did. <laughs> I said, look, what she, look where she's at, you know, so... And she was going to do that regardless if she met me or not, honestly. I mean, Kim was just pretty bright and she knew she had her goals.
1: Well, At she's certainly serving as an incredible inspiration to women across all sports platforms. But your relationship leads me to believe that there must have been a, a handful of women throughout your both of your careers that played a significant role in your success, or at least were a support system that played into your joy in this business. So who have been some of the women throughout your career that maybe you've met along the way that,
0: you know. All kind of the, like I said, when I first got into the position, there was um, a lady named Priscilla Oppenheimer, and she was an older lady because then she retired then, probably around 2000 or whatever. So she was one of the very first females. But most of them, um, we came in together and then they start being younger, of course, than me. But you, you do band and you exchange emails. And when you need a second opinion on something, you lean on each other. Like, you know, is this, have you dealt with this or how do you do this? And so we, we do lean on each other and help each other out.
1: Yeah that camaraderie I've noticed throughout my career as well is is very important whether it's you know a fellow writer or just whoever you meet along the way like you said it's important to have have a second opinion whether it's about right. something you're working on or something that's taken place it it's important to have that second opinion and there's power in it being a woman as well.
0: Yeah, we lean on each other a lot. We exchange emails quite a bit, so. <laughs> yeah. Is there like a group email thread that you guys have that? Um, ours is, you know, we we just do it directly. We don't have like just like a chat group or anything. It's like when we need something, we send it to the specifics because everyone does different things at mm-hmm. each organization. So you send it to the specific people that, you know, handle that area. Mm-hmm. If it's immigration related, you know, the group that deals with that. If it's um, salary scale related, you have the group that deals with that. You know, so.
1: Why do you think baseball is still so untapped by women? And what do you think it's going to take to continue to dramatically change
0: that? They have to, um, they have to pursue more women. They have to go out and look for them. And I do think some of the females get discouraged. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll they'll stay there for so many years and see that it's not going anywhere. And and I think they just decide like, maybe this isn't, this isn't for me, but they need to pursue more. I mean, they're out there. There's, there's women out there, but we need more of the, uh, more of the general managers, hopefully is gonna do that too. Bring some women in um, to hire some more females in the positions. Like that, you know who just did it is the Blackhawks hired a female player development coach. Right, and right. Nice. I was right. like, listen to that.
1: Yep. No coin she shall be yes. the newest player development coach.
0: That's what we need to do in baseball. That's what needs to be done in baseball. I think they have to just work harder at looking for them. I know MLB has um, a pipeline program. You Mm -hmm. know, I don't know if they're the ones that that's where it needs to start. But, yeah, that's – we need more of the guys to take a chance. You know, just hire them. They're going to do a great job. And you have to start – you know, they need to take – like Kim took 30 years, which it shouldn't have taken that long. But um, after the Dodgers, she should have had a shot at a GM job somewhere. Um, because it, then there were like guys younger than her being hired as GMs and stuff, which, you know, you're like, really? But so that's, you know, if you put in all the work, then they have to give you, a, they have to give you a shot.
1: Right. At a certain point, they can't ignore you anymore. And Kim's hire obviously proves that. But the amount of time it took, how satisfied were you or proud
0: were you when you finally saw that happen? Oh, my God. I was ecstatic when I saw it. I mean, I did. I texted her immediately. But then I also thought, like, this should have happened 15 years ago. But, you know, nevertheless, it happened. And we have to just be excited and hope that this is going to open the doors up for females in the, or in the baseball industry. Absolutely. Lastly, before
1: I let you go, I want to ask all of my guests that come on this show this, because all of the guests on this show are a pioneer in their own right. But for you, Grace, what is your hope for the next generation of women in sports?
0: They need to go for it. and. Um, You know, there's going to be bumpy roads along the way. It's not going to be smooth and easy, but, you know, believe in yourself, believe you can do it, and more than likely you can, can prove that.
1: Grace, such an honor, such a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on Equal Play.